Hello, all you Bible readers out there. Well, we finished up week number one, and now we're headed into week number two. In week number one, you would have started in Genesis chapter one, verse one, and read through Genesis 14, verse 16. So this week is a full week of reading. We're going to start in Genesis chapter 14, verse 17. And we will finish all the way through Genesis chapter 33. So we've got a little bit to cover in the podcast for this week. Um, Keep sending those questions in. Again, if you have questions about your reading, I will do my best to answer those questions promptly. Uh, Send those questions to BibleReading at LMBC.org. All right. Now, last time we left off, we mentioned that Abraham and Lot had to separate themselves from each other. Or in Genesis chapter 14 there. And their possessions and families were getting too large, and they needed more space to spread out. And so Abram gives Lot the choice of the land, and he chose the Jordan Valley where everything was well watered and lush. Now, as Lot moved into his new space there in chapter 14, a powerful coalition of kings from Mesopotamia invaded Canaan, and in the process took Lot captive. And so the story goes that Abram retaliated with a surprise attack at night and recovered Lot and his possessions. And upon his return home, Abram received a blessing from this character we might have all heard before. His name was Melchizedek, king of Salem. Now we're going to wait until we get to Hebrews chapter 7 to discuss Melchizedek. We need a little more context for him. But just know that upon return home, Abram received a blessing from Melchizedek. And Abram was also offered a reward by the king of Sodom in this story. But Abram rejects the reward because he didn't want to tarnish God's blessing of him. In other words, God promised to bless Abraham, and he did not want to show a lack of faith by receiving gifts from someone other than God. An important concept that Abram seems to show time and time again. Now, chapter 15 is likely to be the most important chapter in all of Genesis. Because in this chapter, God confirmed his covenant with Abraham. In other words, he made it official. And Abram realized that there was a fundamental problem. That problem was that he didn't have an heir. And how can God promise him descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky if he doesn't have an heir? That's a logical and a reasonable question. And so in response to this question, God confirmed his covenant, his promise with Abraham. And this covenant was an unconditional one, which means since that God was the one making it, then he, God, was totally responsible for fulfilling it. Now, by the way, don't miss verse 13. Let me just add this in here really quick, which is a prophecy of the Israelites being enslaved in Egypt. I want you to think about that. As God gave the promise to Abraham, he also prophesied at the same time that Israel would be enslaved in Egypt. And if you read further down the text, it says, "For until four generations are complete, and we will connect those two uh, points later on when we get into the book of Exodus. But I just wanted to point that out quickly. Now, even though God had promised an heir, Abraham and Sarah still take matters into into their own hands as you get into chapter 16. They don't wait on God. And in many ways, we can find ourselves in the story of Abraham and Sarah refusing to wait on God and doing things our own way. Abram and Hagar have a son, and that son is named Ishmael. And he is, excuse me, Abram is 86 years old when he has Ishmael. 
As we move down into chapter 17, we find that Abram is 99 years old and Ishmael is now 13 years old. And this is the first time, excuse me, the fifth time that God speaks to Abraham. After God had made his promise to Abram, every male member of Abraham's household was required to be circumcised. Just like the rainbow was a sign of God's covenant with Noah not to destroy the earth with water, so circumcision is a sign of the covenant that God made with Abram regarding his descendants. And when a rainbow forms in the sky, it's because sunlight hits the water droplets, the same water that God used to flood the earth. You see, the rainbow in the sky cannot form without water. The two are connected. In the same way, the focus of God's promise to Abram is presently on his descendants, or on literally, as the text says, his seed. Thus, it is appropriate that the sign of the covenant is connected to the male reproductive organ. When God told Abram to be circumcised, he was past the age of bearing children, and his wife, Sarah, was also incapable of having children. Nevertheless, it would be through Sarah's womb that God will fulfill his promise of an innumerable offspring to Abraham. God's covenant with Abraham could only be realized by miraculous intervention. And so even though God does all this for Abraham, Abram still has his doubts. Why can't Ishmael be the blessed one? That seems to be the question that Abraham continued to ask. As you move into chapters 18 and 19, the story continues. And chapters 18 and 19 constitute one large story about three supernatural visitors. One of those visitors being the Lord, and the other supernatural visitors uh, being angels. That's what they're called in chapter 19, verse 1. And they inform Sarah that in roughly a year she will have a son. But they're also there to deal with the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah. And so two of these supernatural beings head to the city to destroy it, but the Lord stays with Abraham. And Abraham pleads to the Lord not to destroy Sodom, because Lot lives there. And after many pleas, the Lord leaves, and the two supernatural beings head to Sodom to get Lot and his family out before the city is destroyed. And these two angels have to literally grab Lot and his family by the hands. You read the text closely and you'll see, to get them out of the city before destruction. And if you've read the story before, and I think most of you have, you know that Lot's wife looked back when she was told not to and was turned into a pillar of salt for looking back. So Lot and his two daughters make it out of the city and they continue on living while we move right into chapter 20 that introduces a new character, and his name is Abimelech. Now, we have two stories of Abram lying about the status of his wife, putting her in danger. The first time is in Genesis 12, and now here in Genesis chapter 20. Now, in this present chapter, we learn that these two stories are just the tip of the iceberg, because if you look at verse 13 of Genesis chapter 20, this informs us that Sarah is to lie everywhere they go. So everywhere that Sarah goes, she is telling other people that she is a sister of Abraham and not his wife. You know, this is an example of a habitual sin that Abraham had. And, and, you know, we all have them. Sins that keep coming back time and time again. Sins that we have to constantly be at war with. Here, Abram told the same lie to Abimelech, the king of Gerar, out of fear once again that he would kill him and take his wife. Now God intervenes and takes care of matters 
What is interesting in the text is to the extent to which it goes to inform us of Sarah's purity. And that leads us right into chapter 21 with the birth of Isaac. You see, it's important that the text tells us that Sarah didn't have any extramarital affairs because it's important to know that God is the one that's going to provide an heir through Abraham and Sarah. No other means. That's the way the descendant is going to come. And that's the way Isaac is born as you get into chapter 21. And that birth of Isaac is told in a very simple manner. But what is not so simple is the jealousy that arises because of his birth as that promised one, that promised descendant. There's already been friction between Sarah and Hagar, but this tension reaches the new level when Sarah sees Ishmael mocking Isaac. And Abraham is torn. He recognized Ishmael as his son and he cared for him, but he didn't know what to do. And so God intervenes and reassures Abram that he will take care of Hagar and Ishmael. And I'm sure Abraham was very thankful that God did this because he didn't want to have to decide between the two. And so chapter 21 ends with an incident between Abimelech and Abraham. And this incident ties into the narrative because it deals with another aspect of the promise given to Abraham, the land that he was to be given. There's been a lot of focus on his descendant, which is important, but that small little section focuses on the land. But now that Isaac has been born, the next thing that God asks of Abraham is to sacrifice him on an altar. That's in chapter 22. Not what you'd expect to happen, especially when God has taken so much time and gone to great lengths to ensure that Abraham would have an heir. And now God wants to, it seems like, sacrifice that heir. Now, Abraham has faith that God will provide, and God does provide for him. Just as Abram is ready to sacrifice his son, that text in Genesis 22 tells us an angel stops him. Now we know the loyalty that Abram has toward God. This is definitely a defining moment in the life of Abraham, the ultimate faith test. We are given a little insight into Abraham's thinking in the book of Hebrews, but we'll wait to get to the book of Hebrews when we get to the book of Hebrews. We already had two references already in this podcast to Hebrews, so that's going to be an important book as we get to that later on the year. Now, the end of chapter 22 and into chapter 22, chapter 23 talks about Abram buying some real estate in Canaan for the burial of his wife, Sarah. Abram pays full price for the land. And what's important to understand here is for the first time, he owns a piece of property in the promised land. So for the very first time, he gets a piece of property. That's important because God's going to give him all of that. God's going to promise the Israelites all of that. But for the first time, he already has a piece of property inside the land. Now, you would think that Abraham, after the incident in chapter 22 with sacrificing his son, would have complete faith in God. But now in chapter 24, he gets worried again because Isaac is 40 years old and he doesn't have any prospects of a wife. How can the line of the promised descendants continue if the promised son doesn't have a wife? And so the short of it is that Abraham sends a servant back to his people and gets a wife for Isaac named Rebekah. And Rebekah is Laban's sister, a detail that will come up later on. As you move into chapter 25, it explains the details regarding Abraham's death at 175 years old, and he is buried in the same place that Sarah is. But then also in chapter 25, there's a short blurb about Ishmael's descendants. The point here is that while Ishmael 
may not be the one through whom the promise descends, nonetheless, he is a beneficiary of the promises given to Abraham, like all the nations of the world would be. Remember back in Genesis 12, God said that through Abraham, I will bless all the nations. Well, all the nations would include Ishmael as well. And at the end of chapter 25, Jacob and Esau are born to Isaac and Rebekah. And as Jacob and Esau get older, Esau sells his birthright um, to Jacob for some bread and stew. Now, all I can say is that it must have been a really good meal for him to sell his birthright for that. But as you move into chapter 26, we again come into contact with Abimelech. Now, is this the same Abimelech that Abram had dealings with in chapter 20? We can't say for sure, but what's interesting is that Isaac responds to the crisis in the same way as his father. Um, you know, because of the famine, Isaac takes his family to Egypt. When asked about his wife, Rebekah, he tells everyone that she is his sister, the same response that Abraham gave earlier. And what we learn from comparing these two stories is that we're often more susceptible to the sins of our parents. Now, wisdom suggests that we recognize that and take steps to avoid that. And in the end, we are responsible and accountable for our own sins. But I find it interesting that both Abraham and Isaac struggled with the same type of sin. Now, as if stealing with the birthright was not enough, in chapter 27, we find out that Jacob steals Esau's blessing from his aged father, Isaac. And through Rebekah's help, Jacob deceives his father, Isaac, and receives the blessing of the firstborn, something that should have gone to Esau. And if you read the text, you can't help but feel for Esau. Esau is brokenhearted. Isaac has given away the blessing, and he doesn't have any to give to Esau. Now, this is going to become a trend later on as the younger Jacob is blessed over the older Esau. And because of what happens, Jacob um, fears for his life. He fears that his brother is going to take vengeance on him, and so he flees. After a dream from the Lord confirming that the covenant that God had with Abraham and Isaac was going to be extended to Jacob as well, Jacob finds himself in the land of Haran. And it's in Haran where he gets a taste of his own trickery and deception in the person of a man named Laban. In chapter 30, we find out that Jacob works for Laban in order to marry Rachel. But Leah is given to him on his wedding day, a different wife. He works another seven years for Rachel. Now, Jacob's wealth while he's in Haran begins to grow, namely because of his sly and deceptive way of stealing from his father-in-law's herds, allowing his father-in-law to keep the weaker animals and he himself retain the stronger ones. You can read the end of chapter 30 to find out more details as to exactly what he did. But because of his trickery and because it's found out, he leaves town and heads back to Canaan. Now, as we move into chapter 32, we find that Jacob and Esau are destined to meet once again. It's been about 20 years since Jacob has seen Esau, since he left town and went to Haran. And since then, Jacob has two wives and two concubines and 11 sons and a lot of wealth. So Esau is excited to meet his brother again, but Jacob is not so excited. However, the story flow is interrupted with an interesting and rather supernatural event of Jacob wrestling with God. Up to this point, Jacob has tried to live and lead his family in his own strength, utilizing the world's methods, you know, the methods of deception and trickery, uh, to protect himself and, and gain advantages for his family. But his encounter with God, however, marks him with a limp, which is an obvious sign of weakness. 
Now, Jacob is far from perfect, and he is much like us. But the story of Jacob exalts not the struggle, but the goodness of God in blessing a conniving, undeserving man. He reminds us so much of ourselves. Maybe that's why we associate so much with Jacob. But there is also another point that I want you to see in this text. And that point is that God renames Jacob, his name, to the name Israel. So God renames Jacob to Israel. Now, think of Israel's tendencies towards God in the Old Testament. Think of how they're at constant war with God. They're constantly complaining to God, constantly arguing with God, constantly wanting God to do more for them, constantly worshiping other gods because they don't like the laws and commands that their God is giving to them. They're constantly at war with God. So Israel here in Genesis 32 is also the focus. Israel is constantly wrestling with God, constantly wrestling with God. And you know what? In the end, even after Israel wrestles with God, God still blesses Israel, even though she doesn't deserve it, even though she has failed him time and time again through the Old Testament. And so this chapter 32 has two different focuses. It focuses on Jacob, yes, in his dealings with God, in his personal life, but also with the nation of Israel on a larger scale, in a larger picture. Well, that leads us finally into chapter 33, where Esau and Jacob are reunited with one another and make peace. However, Jacob is still uncertain and worried that his brother is going to find a way to take vengeance on him. And so he purposely misleads his brother. Yes, Jacob has changed from his encounter with God in chapter 32, but he has still much to learn. He has still much to mature. And you know what? So do we, because we find ourselves in his life as well. Well, that brings us to the end of our survey for this week. We have covered Genesis chapter 14, verse 17, all the way through Genesis 33. I hope you've enjoyed the survey, and, and you know we've covered a lot of ground. We've gone from talking about Abraham to Isaac to Jacob, Esau, uh, Rebecca, Sarah. There are a lot of major players in the book of Genesis. Um, and you can see how that last half of the book of Genesis focuses on those four major players, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and of course, we'll eventually get to Joseph in the weeks to come. But you can also see how the line of descendants is such a big deal in the book of Genesis, how through Abraham, the line would come to Isaac and then to Jacob and then to the 12 sons, eventually forming a people, the nation of Israel. See, in Genesis, the focus is on forming that people into a people. You know, by the time you get to Exodus, there are two and to three million Israelites. And then in Exodus, you get them a law. In Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, they're focused on the land. And so in these first couple of books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and even Deuteronomy, God is focused on making this people, Israel, into his people. An important part, and there's a lot of material here in this reading. Again, we need to remember that we're just doing a survey and we're not doing a verse-by-verse -verse commentary on everything that this text is, or that all these passages are talking about. I hope you've enjoyed a review of your reading for this week. Don't forget to send any questions to BibleReading at lmbc.org. I will try to answer those questions in a timely manner and send out email responses to those questions so that everyone can see uh, those answers. Sometimes you will benefit 
from someone else asking a question that maybe you were afraid to ask. So don't be afraid to ask those questions, and I will respond as best I can through email. And keep up your reading for this week, and I will talk with you next week.